D. Rose goes for 50 seven years after the first time he blew out his knees. It's the cipher. Derrick Rose was the NBA's MVP back in 2010-2011. He was the best player on a 62-win Bulls team. 25 points, 7 assists, 4 rebounds, shooting over 44% from the field, just under 34 from 3. He was a beast that season. The following year, 39 games into the season, he tears his ACL And it started off a long string of injuries and struggles physically and mentally. Not to mention he had struggles off the court, personal issues, legal issues. And he looked like a player that was on his last leg. He goes to Cleveland, can't fit in with LeBron, doesn't have a role there. Ends up on the Timberwolves after getting cut by the Jazz. And I thought he was done. I thought this is the beginning of the end. It's over. I thought D. Rose was heading to the big three. And lo and behold, in the playoffs last year, in a series where the Timberwolves lost in five games, and the complaints was that Carl Anthony Towns looked it soft and didn't play well. But ultimately, when you looked at that series, Wiggins, Towns, and Jimmy Butler across the board All three of them only averaged 15 points a game for the series. Their most consistent player in that series was Derrick Rose, who averaged just under 16 points a game and shot over 50% from the field. I saw something in Derrick Rose, and it wasn't just garbage time. I saw something when the games were still games. I saw a little bit of a burst. I saw him be able to change directions. And that was one of the special things about Derrick Rose as a player. You can look at him and Russell Westbrook, the very best versions of each of them. And the difference between the two, and I'm not saying D. Rose at his best is better than Russ at his best, but I'm talking about when you look at ultra-athletic and super-quick guards, there's a difference. Russ's specialty is the ability to accelerate and blow past you even when you know what direction he's headed in, not to mention his strength and his ability to elevate over people. What Rose did differently from Russ was Rose could change directions. He could go side to side and then go back to full speed again. And that's something Russ couldn't do. Derrick Rose at his very best. He looked very similar to Barry Sanders. I've said that about Kyrie, but Derrick Rose could turn you inside out and then elevate over you. He was that kind of player at his very best. I'm not saying he'll get back to that level. Before the season started, what I said was, I thought Derrick Rose, if he could accept the role, could be a very good sixth man. If he can embrace that role, understanding, knowing where he's at at age 30, that no longer he's not the focal point, he's not the main guy, he's not that guy, but he could be one of the guys. He could impact the game when he got in there. If he could embrace that, I thought Derrick Rose... His second act of his career, how he could resurrect his career, is to embrace being a sixth man. It's a role I thought he would be very good at. But did I see him dropping 50 ever? I did not. Salute D. Rose. Big game. Big win. 
you look strong physically, but you look a lot more confident mentally. Let's see how this plays out as we move forward with the rest of the season. Last night, the Lakers beat the Mavs 114 to 113 in a game where the Lakers were blowing the Mavs out. This game looked like it was a wrap. And once again, when it mattered most, that Lakers defense couldn't get stops. They couldn't get stops. The Mavs not only got back in the game, they tied the game up with less than a minute to play. The Mavs outscored the Lakers 32 to 20 in the fourth quarter. LeBron James led the Lakers with 29 points, six assists, and five rebounds. He did hit the game-winning free throw. But if we just look at offensive numbers, they can throw you off. If you watch that game, especially the last five or six minutes of it, the Lakers' defense is just embarrassing. And I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. It starts with your best player. He's got to embrace defense. Even if, even if it's in short burst, he's got to at least embrace the challenge of guarding the other team's best player. When Harrison Barnes starts scoring, when Wes Matthews starts dropping jump shots, you're the best player on the team. You're capable of being an elite defender, maybe in short burst. But when it's the last couple of minutes of the game, that's when they need you. That's money time. And to me, if you're a leader a 33, 34-year-old leader, then yes, those younger guys, they follow your lead. Not through words, through what you do on the court. That's how young guys respond. They judge you off of what you do, not what you say. And I think LeBron needs to just step up more on the defensive side of the ball. And the Lakers as a team, they're one of the worst in the league, but they've got to cut down on turnovers. Over 20 turnovers last night. When you have 20 turnovers, nine times out of 10, your team has lost. Somehow they managed to win this game. Or did the Mavs lose this game? The Lakers are three and five. Mavs fall to two and six. I think these two teams will be fighting it out for the playoffs. I know I said I had the Lakers going four, maybe being the fourth or fifth seed. And they've gotten off to a bad start, but I don't waver. I think the Lakers are still, when it's all said and done, will be no worse than a fifth seed. But I also think when I look at this Lakers roster as presently constructed, I also think this won't be the same roster going into the playoffs. When I look at the current state of the Western Conference, the only thing that really surprises me when I look at the standings are the Rockets at one and six. And the Kings at five and three, those two are really the only thing I find to be incredibly shocking when you look at their 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 records. That's crazy. But at the same time, and I don't want to use the term it's early, even though it is, I want to look at what's sustainable and what's not. Do I think ultimately when it's all said and done, do I think the Houston Rockets, excuse me, at one and five will still be a bottom dweller in the Western Conference? And the answer is, I don't think so. I know Houston is an older team, but I think once you get Chris Paul and Harden back and they get into a rhythm, I think that ultimately Houston is going to be in the top three of the conference. And I still think 
if they can make a move, they'll be back in the conference finals. When I look at a team like the Kings, though, and you wonder how they're doing this, they're doing it by pace. The Sacramento Kings, in pace, in terms of pace, are number one in the NBA. They get up and down the floor. They move. And it starts with second-year point guard De'Aaron Fox, who's averaging 17 points a game, seven rebounds, almost two steals, and shooting 48% from two. Buddy Heald is starting to look like the two-guard they projected him to be. He doesn't have to be a star, and I don't think he'll ever be a star, but he can be a really good, productive two-guard. He's averaging 19 points and six rebounds, shooting over 50% from the field and over 50% from three. Willie Cauley-Stein, 17-9, and almost two blocks. And then you look at their draft pick, the guy that they want to center the team around eventually, Marvin Bagley, he gives you 12 and 7 off the bench. So when you look at their core four, with the oldest player being Buddy Hilton Stein, both 25, then you go to De'Aaron Fox, 21. Then, then you go down to Marvin Bagley, 19. I think this core four, because they, they're all athletic, they can all get up and down the floor, I think fast is the only way this Kings team can play. So do I think it's sustainable or do I think this is just fool's gold? I think it's sustainable if the backcourt can continue to shoot a high percentage in terms of Hill and Fox. It's sustainable if they're going to do what they can do. And if Willie Collins-Stein is going to stay a double-digit scorer and close to double digits and rebounds, yes, I think it's sustainable. Do I think it's sustainable to the point where the Sacramento Kings are going to make the playoffs? I don't think so. I think... They're missing that what they need is another wing player that can give you 15 to 18 points a night. They need a little bit more firepower for me to believe that what they're doing right now is sustainable. But if you're a Kings fan, if nothing else, this is promising. This is hopeful. There's a light at the end of your tunnel. You've got young talent that's actually developing right in front of you and they're winning games. They're becoming a unit. So sustainable to where they make the playoffs this season? I don't think so. But could it be sustainable long term? Absolutely. When I look at the Denver Nuggets, who are six and one, is it sustainable? I told you ahead of time. I told you episodes back in the cipher that I thought Denver was going to be an ascending young team because of their talent. So, yes, with Gary Harris and Jamal Murray You've got one of the most talented young backcourts, if not the most talented young backcourt in the NBA. Harris is 24. Murray's 21. Right now, Gary Harris, 48 percent from the field, 30 percent from three, which isn't great. But he's averaging 19 points a game, just under four assists and four rebounds. Jamal Murray, he's shooting 40 percent from the field. He's, He's actually struggling with his jump shot. But he's actually improved his ability to create for himself off the dribble. He's giving you 16 points a game. And then the true unicorn, the real unicorn, the one that's actually worthy of the title, Nikolai Djokovic, the Joker, 21 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 54% from the field, 44% from three. The Joker is a bad man. Then you've got a solid veteran like Paul Millsap chipping in with 12 and 8. 
they're doing this without one of the best six men in the league and Willie Barton, who gives you 16 points off the bench. Not to mention they'll be getting Isaiah Thomas back. That's going to be more firepower. They've got Trey Lyles. They've got Malik Beasley. Mason Plumlee is probably the best backup big man in all the NBA. This Denver Nuggets team, not only can they make the playoffs, they're going to be a tough out. I would not want to be the team that sees this team in the first round. So to me, no question, Denver, what they're doing, sustainable. Then you go to the Eastern Conference. There's only one undefeated team in the NBA. And their best player, Giannis. The Greek freak, 25 points, 14 rebounds, just under six assists, averaging just under two blocks a game, 50% from the field. What's impressive is he's shooting 50% from the field. He's not even shooting 10% from three. Giannis just, the man just doesn't have that kind of range. What's crazy is he doesn't have that kind of range, and he's still giving you 25. Then you've got Chris Middleton, I think the most underrated wing player in all the NBA, 25 points, five rebounds, four assists, 49% from the floor, 54% from three. Chris Middleton is a legit number two. If Giannis is your guy, you've already got a legit number two. And if Eric Bledsoe is going to stay in this mode, this current version of him, averaging 13 and seven, along with what Brogdon gives you, another 13 and four, if this is sustainable, if this is what this five-man unit can do, because you got to add Brooke Lopez, who's giving them 13.7 rebounds, not to mention he's a stretch five. If they're starting five, and right now when you look at their roster, they're top-heavy, if they can sustain and be consistent with their production, which I absolutely know that I'm going to get that from Giannis, I'm going to get that from Middleton, and Brogdon will be Brogdon. If Eric Bledsoe and Lopez can sustain this over the long haul, what they really need is they need a little bit more production from Ilawasova, DiVincenzo, and Tony Snell. I think the Bucks, because of how they play defensively and because of their length, if they can get a little bit more shooting, they're going to be a problem. Is this sustainable in terms of will they be better than last year? Yes. I think the Milwaukee Bucks, and really, I, I do. I think they're one shooter away from being a legit title contender. And then there's the other side of the coin when we talk about sustainable. I'm going to keep it 100. I told you all multiple times that Philly was my dark horse to come out of the East and interrupt the Toronto slash Celtics party in the conference finals. And I did that based off of not just last year, but how much better I thought Simmons, MB, Sarage, Covington, this young core, I thought folks would bounce back. I thought this team was going to be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. And they're off to a slow start. And a lot of this is chemistry. A lot of this is when you look at Ben Simmons, as gifted a player as he is, he's just not a shooter. And he's their primary ball handler. And what teams are doing now is every time he goes pick and roll, they're going under. And they're not just going under. They're going under and they're backing away five to ten feet. And they're giving him jump shots. And he's actually refusing to take them. And when he does take them, he's not making them. I'm not putting their faults and their struggles all on Simmons. But when you have him and folks on the floor at the same time, immediately your spacing is compromised because you have two non-shooters. And that's a problem. 
Factor in that Saric is off to an awful start. He's only shooting 34% from the floor. He is struggling. And his problem is they're switching everything on defense. And Saric is really a four slash five. And he's being matched up against twos and threes. And he, he just doesn't have the lateral quickness to stay with anybody. And he's just getting destroyed off the dribble. I really think that Brett Brown and Elton, Elton Brand need to get together and decide on making a move because they're in desperate need of another guy that can get buckets and make plays for others. You can't have J.J. Redick as your really only pure shooter, even though Covington right now is shooting 42% from, the th- from three. Everybody knows Covington is a streaky shooter, the only pure shooter, the only guy that you can say never leave him open is J.J. Redick. This team is struggling because of how they're built, and they're struggling because they have a lack of shooting. And without the shooting, teams are loading up on on Embiid. They've got to find another shooter, another playmaker to create more space. And they've got to play faster. Right now, in terms of sustainability, yes, they're a 4-4 team. I think... If they don't make any moves and they stay pat, they're going to be a 500 team around playoff time. I'll be wrong, but I can accept that. What I'm telling you right now is, as they currently stand, their style of play and their current roster, they're in trouble. Of course, everybody's still wondering where Jimmy Butler is going to end up, where he's going to end up finishing the rest of this season and maybe his career. So what we know is this. Yes, he still wants out. What we also know is he'd like to go to the Clippers. He still would like to go to the Nets. He'd like to go to the Heat. That hasn't changed. What has changed is the fact that I'm not so sure how sincere Tibbs and company are in moving him. They seem to be wanting an impossible package. And the problem is, yes, Jimmy Butler is an all-star. So he has value. Jimmy Butler's a two-way player. So you can't question that. Again, value. But what he isn't, he's not a franchise player. He's not a superstar. He's in this weird purgatory, this NBA purgatory. Better than most. Better than many. Definitely a top 15, top 10, top 15 player. But not the kind of guy that can be the best player on a title-winning team. At best, he's your second or third option. Are you going to trade away young talent, young assets for a guy who will make you better? But the ceiling is not as high as you might want it to be. If he goes to the Nets, will the Nets be much better? No question. He might even lead the Nets to the playoffs. But he's not going to lead them to a title. Same thing if he goes to the Heat, and much respect to Pat Riley, but that current Heat roster, even though they have the highest payroll in the NBA, you add Jimmy Butler to that, and you're pretty much going to be what you were last year. You're going to get in the playoffs, and you're going to be exiting the playoffs quickly. The only where he would fit where it could impact the league in both conferences, and it would actually challenge The Warriors is with Houston. And that's not clear cut that would work. Because Jimmy's used to not just being the primary scorer, 
he's used to being the primary ball handler. And if you go to a team with Chris Paul and James Harden, you're neither. Harden's the best scorer, and really, he's actually the best ball handler in terms of facilitating. And Chris Paul, right next to him. So when you play with those two, they're going to need Jimmy to move more off the ball, to post up more, or maybe even lock in harder on defense. And he'll find his offense off of what they do off the dribble, or he'll find his offense in transition. It absolutely would work if he can embrace or at least accept the fact he's not the guy and he won't be the guy. But he can be a guy that can help the guy. This sounds like some kind of tongue twister. (laughs) My point is, there's nothing wrong with being Scottie Pippen. There's nothing wrong with being James Worthy. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with being Andrew Toney. We don't talk about him all the time. But there was never anything wrong with being Robert Parrish. All I'm saying is if Jimmy Butler really wants out and he really wants to win and get his money. And the Timberwolves can be more realistic about what they want, which it seems to be they want to reset and they want to still focus on Towns, Wiggins and some more young assets, which makes sense. Then the Houston deal is a good deal. And I know people are thinking limited protections. Houston's a good team. So the first couple of years, those picks will be in the late 20s. That's true. But remember, those are picks for the next seven years. Chris Paul's 33. And as good and hardened, as great as Harden is, not good, as great as he is, he's 29. So on the back end of that deal, you're going to get some high draft picks. Not to mention, If the T-Wheels struggle this year without Jimmy and they don't make the playoffs, you're going to have a lottery pick to go along Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, not to mention the picks you get from the Rockets, which you can use, again, to unload contracts you don't want. Think, Glenn Taylor, think. Hey, Facebook fam, good looking out. YouTube people, good looking out. Love you all. Thanks for the support. Shout out to the Anchor fam. I'm going to be back on Friday. I can tell you a rumor that H is coming on, but I can't promise you it's real. So it's the cipher. Much love. I'm going to hit y'all with this.